In the beginning of uh, chapter 8, we saw this last week, uh, Luke introduced a group of godly women who were both pursuing and serving Jesus Christ. And one of the primary characteristics of those women was their devotion to his teaching. And so now in verse 4, Luke gives us an example of the type of teaching that they had devoted themselves to. Here he teaches a parable. Uh, the word parable is used in the New Testament some 48 times, and it literally means to cast alongside of. So what Jesus would do is when he wanted to teach a, a deeper or more difficult theological truth to his people, he would then take an ordinary story just out of common day life, and he would throw it alongside this spiritual truth, and then he would draw a correlation between the two. Now, people are divided of why exactly Jesus chose to use parables. Some believe that he primarily used them as, as a purpose of illustration. And that is, I understand that as well, from Sunday to Sunday, oftentimes I'll be preaching from the Word, and, and all of a sudden I'm trying to teach you the doctrine of the Word, and for some of you, you begin to be lost. I see it in your eyes. It starts to kind of fog over just a little bit. And right then, I need to use some kind of illustration, say something to be able to draw you back in and connect you to what that spiritual truth is, and hopefully to clarify it. So it does seem as though sometimes Jesus did use parables for that reason. But others suggest that he used it for a completely different reason. They would say that he used parables not to clarify or, or to give sight to the spiritually blind, but rather to blind people from the truth. Now that sounds really odd, especially coming from Jesus or about Jesus, because Jesus, of course, was all about the truth. He was all about coming and being a light into a lost and dying world and sharing the truth of the gospel so that people might be saved and born again. So, so it seems weird that he would want somebody to be blinded from that particular truth. But it seems to be what's happening here, uh, specifically in the context. Remember that what's happening here, in, at least in verse 4, we see that there was another large crowd, a huge crowd, gathered around Jesus. And, and that sounds good to us. Oftentimes we're all crowd-associated. We always associate that with good things. If there's lots of people, it's got to be good. But it wasn't always good in the case of Jesus' teaching. A lot of people would come, and Jesus knew the hearts of men, so he understood that sometimes people showed up not because they wanted to learn to be changed and transformed by what he said. Rather, many were showing up because they wanted to be critical with what God said, what Jesus said, and they wanted to use it against him to ultimately condemn him. This was the case for the Pharisees who had been here listening to what Jesus was saying. And so we find out here that once Jesus shares this parable with the people, the, 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 the disciples ask, what exactly does that mean? This is early on in his ministry. He doesn't get the parable thing. And then he begins to explain to them. But before he does, he says this, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. For others they are parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So right here, by Jesus' own words, he's saying that sometimes he uses illustrations for people to see better, but it's sometimes he uses illustrations to be able to blind people from seeing. Now, what's important to understand is when Jesus uh, speaks here, he's actually quoting from an Old Testament prophet, the prophet Isaiah. And he actually, pro specifically from Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 9. If we understand the context of Isaiah's time, Isaiah had the people of God rebelling against the word of God. He was teaching it. He was speaking it. And because they were rebelling, not believing in faith of what God was saying to them, God judged them by hardening their hearts and taking the word of God away. 
Well, something very similar is happening when Jesus Christ himself is teaching. Hearts are not becoming soft. Hearts are becoming hard. And as a way to judge those like the Pharisees, what he does is he is now disguising the truth. In essence, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to take my pearls and throw them before swine. And so we understand then what a parable is. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. We understand what they're for. They're to give clarity to those who are truly discerning and seeking the truth of God. But they also blind those whose hearts are not right for people who are not there for the right motivation. So the question then is, the only thing that is left is, what is this parable and what does it mean? Well, this parable is often referred to as the parable of the sower. In fact, it, it's, it's really probably the most well-known um, parable in all of the Word of God, and it's certainly one of the most important. In fact, back in Mark where he records this, Jesus actually adds this. He says to his disciples, how is it that you don't understand this parable? He says, if you don't understand this parable, you're in trouble because this is the key to understanding all other parables. So we know it's got to be significant. So here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to share the earthly story with you. It's not difficult and then very carefully begin to kind of draw out those heavenly meanings that God has placed within it. So we pick up here, look at verse 5, if you will. Here's the story. It says, A sower went to sow some seed, and as he sowed, some fell amongst the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and it, so and it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it, and it choked it. And some fell into good soil, and it grew, and it yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, and he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is a pretty simple story. That's kind of the whole point. They're talking about farming. Farming, everybody would have been used to it there in the first century. In fact, it could have been that they were actually watching a farmer as Jesus is sharing this particular parable. So it's a farmer, or a sower as he calls it, who is sowing seed. That's the, that's the idea there. He's sowing seed. And, and so what we find in the midst of this is he sows out seed. Some of the seed falls on good soil. Some falls on bad soil. Now, don't think of, of farming in the same way that we think of it today. They didn't have a big giant John Deere tractor where they're tilling the land up and then periodically taking a seed all the way down these nice rows Instead, in the first century, it was completely different. They didn't actually till until after the seeds were scattered. They didn't plant the seeds, they scattered the seeds. That means that the farmer would take a, a big satchel that he would have over his shoulder, a bag, and then he would go and it would be full of seed and he would take it and he would just begin to throw it, just begin to fling it all over the place. Sometimes that seed would fall on some of the good soil and it would grow. Some of it would fall on bad soil and had no ability to fall at all. That's a pretty simple story. But what does it mean? Well, Jesus, fortunately, begins to give us the interpretation. We don't even have to try to guess at it. He begins in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Jesus said, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So the sowing of the seed is the sowing or the speaking or the preaching or the sharing of the word of God. We, we call the, by, we, we, the, the word of God is the scriptures. The scriptures is the word of God. We call it that because it's about God and it is from God. So the word of God is, is the scriptures, but the one who is sowing it is God himself. He's the one who has given us his word. But within context, Jesus is also the sower. He's preaching the word to this large congregation. But there's a broader application to this as well, is every one of us who shares the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
Anyone who preaches it, anybody who teaches it in a small group, teaches it to children in, in, in Sunday school, or, or you share it with your family, your kids, your wife, or you begin to share the gospel with somebody who was lost, you are in fact a sower of the word, the seed, the, the, the word of God in the lives of other people. And what we find here is, is in the same exact way, God being the sower, the seed being the word of God, that when Jesus speaks it out, it is going to fall on the ears of different people. And in the heart of these different people, there is going to be a different condition of the heart. Some are going to be receptive to it, and some are not going to be receptive to it. So he says here is that there's basically four different types of of heart conditions that people have when they hear the word of God. So let me walk through with them, with, through them very quickly. First of all, he talks about the hard soil. He talks about the hard soil. Jesus said this in verse 5. He said, he said, Some fell amongst the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. So Jesus now is referring to a footpath. Let me explain what that is. Even today, if you go to Israel, you'll see the same thing. They, they would scatter the seed, of course, but they needed a place to walk. So there would be these footpaths that you would follow that would go around the property and through the different crops, allowed them to be able to have access to different areas. So they would walk on it. Their workers would walk on it. Uh, people passing through the property from one place to another, they would use these footpaths. Well, you can imagine with people walking on that soil so much, it began to pack it down until it became rock hard. And so what he's saying is, is when the sower came to sow seed, some of that seed eventually, ultimately, was going to fall on that hard uh, footpath. And he says, but it couldn't sink in. It couldn't permeate it because it was just too hard. So it was left for the birds. The birds would come and they would swoop down and they would eat it up and they would take away. Well, Jesus tells us what this is like. This hard soil is like a hard-hearted person. Somebody that has a hard heart when they hear the word of God. Listen to what he says in verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and he takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. So this hard soil demonstrates this hard heart. When a person with a hard heart hears the word of God, they never truly hear it. It goes in one ear and it goes out the other. Most of the time they are completely unaffected by it. They are not stirred by it. They are not moved by it. They are not convicted by it. In fact, if they're moved or stirred at all, it's not in a good way. It's in anger. It's in hostility to what is ultimately being said. This is people that I've come across quite a few times within ministry. And if you share the gospel enough, you'll come across them as well. They're individuals that if you sat down with them, they seem to be great and delightful people. You could talk to them just about anything at all that you can think of. You could talk even about politics, and they seem to be pleasant, which is saying something for people today. And you could talk with them about whatever it is, sports, whatnot. What, what but when you begin to talk about the things of God, things immediately begin to change. I remember a couple like this. I was asked to go and see somebody's family. It was an older gentleman and his wife. Uh, the wife was um, actually very sick. She had lung cancer. And I remember it very clearly because they said, hey, look, I, we don't know how receptive they're going to be to this. And I said, don't worry, I'm a professional. <laughs> not, not really. I didn't say that, but I wasn't worried about it at that particular point. But I, I went in, and as I began to kind of talk with them, they were really pleasant. Uh, she began to talk about how she was a Buccaneer fan, a Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan. And I said that when I grew up, I was a Buccaneer fan as a kid. And then I became a Jaguars fan. And then I realized that I'm terrible at picking winning football teams at that point. 
And, and, and so we talked back and forth. We talked where they were from, and, and, and we had so many different things in common. And both she and he were very, very pleasant through the whole conversation. Well, at one point, we began to talk about life and death and how she was doing, understanding that most likely she was going to die in the midst of this. And, 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 and everything was going well, but I, I, I saw a way in for the gospel. So I tried to transfer over into the gospel, transition to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and immediately everything in that room changed. She became hard, he became hard, and in in fact, he became very angry to the point that he began to raise his voice, and he says, I don't want you to speak that name again in my presence. You need to leave. If you don't leave, I'll show you the way out, and when you leave, don't ever come back. And I remember sitting thinking to myself, how could somebody's heart ever have become so hard to the things of God, to the ideas of God, and to the word of God. Well, J.C., excuse me, Philip Ryken suggests a couple reasons. He says oftentimes people's hearts are hardened by bitter experiences of life. That is that they face tragedies. They, they face loss in their life. That might have been what was going on with this man. I'm not sure. He, I know that he had been married for almost 50 years. He said that she was the love of his life. He had never, he had never loved anybody else. And maybe in his heart, he was bitter towards God because he felt like God was, was taking away the very thing that he loved the most. There are other times, Philip Rikens, Philip Rikens says, that other times it's, 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 not only, it's not only bitter experiences that we have in life, but also unjustified prejudices against God. Sometimes we think that God should do something. And if he was a loving God, he would do this. Perhaps he would, he would heal his wife from this cancer and they could be together for many, many more years. And, but Jesus didn't, God didn't do what he wanted him to do. Therefore, he must not be a loving God. This is that kind of prejudice that people have against him through their experiences. Other times the Bible says that it's simply because, or at least Philip Ryken says, sometimes it's because of an unwillingness to turn away from their sin. I'll hit on this a little bit later, but please understand that every time that God is beginning to speak to you, it is out of his grace and his mercy, and we must immediately respond. We do not have the time to be able to wait and to decide whether we want to do what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do, because when we don't, we harden our hearts in unbelief every time we do not respond to his prompting. And then, of course, at the end, he says, or by cold indifference to spiritual truth. Have you ever met somebody like this? Have you ever been into a service, maybe not here, but somewhere else, where the Holy Spirit was really working, okay? And everybody was just in awe, and you were sitting there at the edge of your seat, and you're listening to the Word of God, and the things that are being said is pricking your heart, and you're going to move, and there's a part of you that even wants to go down to that, to that altar, but you're scared to death of what people are going to think. But you, you feel and sense the Holy Spirit in that place, and then you get done, and you look at other people, and you could tell God is working, and then somebody in your group goes, dude, I could barely stay awake through that thing. Where, where are we going to eat? And you literally sit there and go, bro, were you not in the same place that we were? And there's this complete indifference. It's as though they did not hear a word that, 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 that was said. And they heard it with their ears, but it didn't permeate their hearts. And he says, so for these folks that are so hard-hardened where the word of God cannot permeate, what happens? It falls down to the ground and the enemy, which is the birds here, come down, the devil comes and takes it away, which means they're taking away any opportunity for this person to be born again. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he comes and he takes what was learned and he completely takes it away from their mind and from their memories. So this is the hard soil, which speaks of a hard heart. Then we see here, secondly, we see the second type of soil, which is a shallow soil. Look at verse 6. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it, it withered away because it had no moisture. 
Now, if you've ever been to Israel, and I would love to take all of you to Israel one day, uh, that would be awesome. Doesn't look like that's going to happen, but it would be fun. So let's just make believe. But if you go there, you really begin to understand almost immediately what he's talking about. If you've ever been there, you begin to understand the, why the Bible talks a lot about hard rocks. Rocks, I guess all rocks are hard, but uh, why it talks about the hardness of rocks and things like that. Because when you go to Israel, it's one big giant rock. Everything is rocks everywhere. Even when you see people who are farming, they're doing their best to collect all the rocks, move all the rocks, and have just enough soil to be able to plant something to be able to grant a harvest. But one of the things that you find is, especially when you come to the city of Jerusalem, especially around the Temple Mount, when, when the, after the rains, the first rains of the year begin to fall, you'll see all these little flowers that will begin to perk up right there, like in the sidewalk where you're walking. And what has happened is it's limestone that has these little pits in it, and enough soil has gathered within those pits where somehow some seed has gotten in it, and it's germinated. It had just enough water, just enough heat, really to be able to germinate that seed, and it sprouts up, and it's some of the first life that you see at that type of year. And it looks wonderful all, all, all over the place, but what happens is as soon as it begins to stop raining and the sun comes out all the more, it, as quickly as it grew up, it now shrivels up and it dies. Well, Jesus gives us the answer to this. Verse 13, he explains that this shallow soil references a shallow heart. He says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while in a time of testing, they fall away. And so what he's talking about is they don't receive it in the same way that those hard-hearted people do. Those that were hard-hearted uh, didn't want to listen to it at all. These folks actually receive it, and they seem to be excited about hearing it. Maybe you've shared some, the gospel with somebody like this. This is always very exciting. Sometimes you share the gospel. They're like, mm, thanks, we're good, don't want to hear it. Other people you share the gospel with, and they literally look at you like, why hasn't anybody ever told me this before? This is the greatest news in the world. And you're like, well, that's why we call it the good news of Jesus Christ. And they begin to just go off. They want to come to church. They want to be active. They want to be, re they, they want to be baptized. They want to be a part of small groups. These are the type of people that pastors like to use as illustrations. They're like, hey, you wouldn't believe this. This person got saved. He's right here. Jerry's with us today. Hey, Jerry, get up and wave. He loves Jesus with all of his heart. And the next week, nobody can find Jerry. He's gone. We're all trying to figure it out. And the FBI and the CIA and Scotland Yard just can't find him. Nobody knows where in the world that he is. And what he says here is the reason is, is because the faith or any element of faith or belief that he had was very shallow. Really what they had was an experience, not a conversion. And it was an emotional experience. When they supposedly came to faith in Jesus Christ, they felt something. They were overwhelmed. This always concerns me sometimes when I'm hearing a testimony of somebody. And I said, tell me how God saved you. And when they sit there and go, well, you know, I, I know that I was saved. How do you say, well, big man, because it was an amazing experience. I felt like, like, like hot lava was just coming all over me. Because I just felt this fresh wind and this fresh fire. And I just felt so much that I felt convicted of my sin. And then I felt this great joy. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, yeah, that's great, but how do you know that you're saved? And they're clinging their salvation to something that they felt, some emotional experience that they felt at some point. And you just want to sit there and go, what I really am wanting to hear is, you know you're saved because of the completed work of Jesus Christ. That he saved you on the cross and through his burial and through his resurrection. That's what you want to hear from somebody. But instead, they keep going back to the same thing. Oftentimes, this shallow-hearted person is a person that loves the hype church. 
right? And, and that, that's no specific type of church. It could be a more traditional church. It could be more contemporary church. But it's all about hype. It's all about stirring people up. The moment that you come in, get the music beating, get the preacher up there, get him speaking, uh, tell these really great stories that usually aren't true. Tell them really great stories to stir the hearts of people. And people are like, yeah, speak it. This is awesome. And then they, they can't wait for the next event. They can't wait for the next conference. And what they're doing is like a sugar high for them. Every little thing is a little bit of sugar, and then they get the sugar high, and it's just enough until they can get another packet of sugar, the next sermon or whatever it is that they go to. But then what happens is eventually struggles and trials happen in their life, and they just fade away. Why? Because the Bible says they had no root. They had no root. Everything about their Christian experience was just shallow emotional experience. Now, I'm not against emotion. Some of you are like, yes, you are. No, I'm not against emotion. I like emotion. Emotion likes me. Uh, emotion is fine. And, and guess what? Coming to faith in Jesus Christ can often be very emotional. Would you agree? When you are overwhelmed by the depth of your sin and depravity and understand about the judgment of God that is placing on you and is on you and the, 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 the knowledge that if you die today that you would go to hell for all eternity, that is heavy and that's emotional. But when you hear the good news of Jesus Christ, of what he did for you to die and to take your place and to forgive you of your sin and to give you a new life and you're adopted now as a child of God from today and forevermore, that can be very emotional. But the key is, it's gotta be more than emotion. We're not saved by emotion, we're saved by faith. And this particular individual, this type of person, when bad things begin to happen to them, they begin to shrivel up because there's no root. They don't know the word. There's no depth of the word of God. Let me ask you this. Why do you think churches have shrunk so badly during this COVID situation? And I understand it. Some people are not coming back because they haven't gotten a vaccine and this. And I'm not talking about people that are genuinely concerned for their health. I get all of that. But if you look, still places that have been open like crazy, they're still running, some, some churches, 50% less than what they were before. Let me tell you why. Because they shriveled up. There was a trial, there was difficulty in their life, and there was nothing for them to be able to come back to because there was no root. So there's a third thing that he says here. Not only is there the hard soil, which is, demonstrates a hard heart, and a shallow soil, which represents a shallow heart, but there's also the crowded soil. We see this in verse 7. It says, and some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it, and it choked it. Now, i got to tell on my family just a little bit. Our family loves to plant things. They love to plant seeds. They love to plant fruits and vegetables in our backyard. Now, they don't have much room, really, to plant, because my whole backyard is about as big as a postage stamp. It's not very big, and so I can basically cut it with two swoops of the lawnmower, literally, okay? And so we'll give them this little patch over in the bushes somewhere and say, you can plant here. Now, I love the idea of planting, just like my kids do, to be honest with you. They kind of clear off a little place, and they'll kind of plant it there. And I say, what is it? Well, that's watermelon seed. Oh, well, I'd like to have me a watermelon. That sounds really promising. And so the next thing you know, they kind of sprout up just a little bit, and you're like, this is fantastic. This is lovely. I love it. But there's something that grows even faster than plants. Do you know what it is? Weeds. All of you have done this, haven't you? You've been to my backyard. And so weeds grow up. And so the weeds begin to grow up. And what do they do? They begin to choke out that plant. They begin to take the light. They begin to take the nourishment. They begin to take the, the nutrients and the moisture. And they begin to hog it all. And then what happens is this, if there's any fruit that goes on this at all, it's, it's just feeble. It's just sad looking. It's not something that you ever want to ultimately eat. Why? Because it got choked out. 
And so in verse 14, Jesus explains, and as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they were choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. This particular group is different than all the rest. They don't reject it immediately. It's not really even just an immediate response. These are folks that hang around for some period of time. These are the types of folks that it's really, really confusing because they literally have a long period of time that they are affiliated with the church and the things of God. Then eventually you see almost nothing with them at all. What happened? Jesus says here, he says primarily for two reasons. One is because they were choked by, they were choked by the cares of this world. The cares here means difficulties of life. I've seen this so many different times where people have been active in a local church and they love people. And it, it seems like they're, they're, they're all into Christ and they're all about the things of God. But difficulties come upon their life. They, they lose a loved one or they lose a job or they're struggling financially. And they'll even say, you try to track them down. You go, how have you been? Where have you been? And they'll sit back and they'll say things like, we're sorry. Just so many difficult things in our life. We just need to be able to step back for a while. And they step back and they step back. And they step back and we never see them again. They just fall back. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about the cares of the world. Their mind is so much on the cares of the world that they cannot even think of the things of God anymore and they fade away. But it's not just the bad things of life. Note this. It's also the riches and the pleasures of life. Do you want to know something that probably threatens your walk with God more than anything else? Prosperity. It does. Many times, you know what, if you're truly born again, do you know what difficulties does to your life? It purifies you and you pursue and you, and, you, and you come into Christ even all the more in the midst of difficulties. Those that are not truly in the faith, they fall away altogether. But what we see here is it can be these good things, these riches and pleasures of life that are just as dangerous. This is kind of how it works. Look, when you're young and you first get married, let's face it, we're poor. Would you agree? For the most part, you first get married, you're poor, you guys are, you guys are smiling, Clear, clearly this must have happened. And usually your whole house is filled with furniture that is hand-me-downs from everybody else who doesn't want it, right? And they come and they go, oh, we've got a chair and we've got a table and we've got this and we've got that. And you're just putting it together and you're happy to get it. They feel better because they're overspending on the furniture they're buying, but they feel much better because you are their missions project. I feel better, let's go give this to their home. And so we still have all that furniture, honestly, in our, whole, in, our, in our house. Everything that we got, lots of what we got originally is still within our home. It's crazy. And so we get all this stuff. It's in there. It's, 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 it's difficult. You start working through your life. You and your husband or you and your wife are really trying to work. You're trying to get pennies together, and you're really starting to grow in Christ. It's almost like all I have is Christ. That song, literally all you have is Christ, right? And so you're studying and you're growing and you get a part of a small group and it seems like God is alive. Then something begins to happen. You begin to prosper. You begin to grow and you begin to get money. Money begins to come in. You get more money. You're freed up to be able to buy some things that you want to be able to buy. That house, that car, that vacation. Even now, the small group that you're a part of, it used to be really focused biblically on growing in Jesus Christ. Now there is more talk about where we're going to go on vacation, what we're going to do, and how we're going to spend our money. Then how are we going to grow in the person of Jesus Christ? And I think of all of these things, I think that this is one of the greatest greatest distractions and one of the greatest dangers to believers in the United States even today. J.C. Ryle says this, he says, the things of this life from one of the greatest dangers which beset the Christian path is the money, 
the pleasures, the daily business of the world are so many traps to catch souls. Thousands of things which in themselves are innocent become, when followed to, to excess, little better than soul poisons and helps to hell. Open sin is not the only thing that ruins souls. In the midst of our families, in, in the pursuit of our lawful callings, we have need to be on our guard, except we watch and pray. These temporal things may rob us of heaven and smother every sermon we ever hear. We may live and die thorny ground hearers. There's some today that have hardly even been able to hear a word that's coming out of my mouth because all you can think of is the distracted thoughts of what you're going to buy next or what you're going to get next, what you're going to pursue next, where you're going to go next, what your money is going to buy next. And that person cannot hear the things of God. Their heart and their love for God is being choked out. Now there's a fourth soil here, and the fourth soil is the good soil. Look at verse 15. He says, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So notice what Jesus says specifically about this good heart. It is a steadfast heart, which means it holds firmly to the word of God. This is a person who clings to it. He, uh, he or she is a person who, who studies it regularly. They believe it and they obey it. That's the good heart. Uh, they are also an honest person, meaning that they are sincere in the pursuit of Jesus Christ. You actually hearing them say that, they go, when was the last time that you told somebody, my greatest desire is to become like Jesus? When's the last time that you actually came or a thought in your mind is what I really want more than anything else is just to be like him. I want to grow in Jesus Christ. If, if it's not, there's something off because this is the evidence of a good heart. The good heart as well is, again, just plain good. That's what he mentions here. One that has been good, but by what? By the grace and the mercy of God of his salvation. Let's make sure we understand. If there's any growth in us, in Christ, any good that comes from us, does any of us have a place to boast? No. We'll boast in Jesus Christ and him alone. It's because he's changed our heart that we produce these things. And then finally, a fruitful heart. It always is producing more and more. What is that spiritual fruit? It's love. You know what we need more than anything right now in the midst of the culture in which we live is some true, genuine love, loving people unconditionally despite of their stances and how they view things to truly love them. To not only love, but also patience. Wouldn't this be good? These are all fruits of the Spirit, by the way. Patience with one another. Patience with our spouse. This is how you know if you're walking in the Lord. You know if your heart is right. When you're not trying to get your way all the time or you're not frustrated all the time, but even in the midst of their shortcomings, you can be patient. There's righteousness, a desire to do the things of God, to cut out things that are displeasing to who God is, and then there are good works. Good works of just loving others and doing things in the name of Jesus for the glory of God. This is all demonstration of what a, a good heart is. Now, let me explain something about this parable. One of the difficulties about the parable is because it is specifically about those who are saved and those who are lost. That's what it's about. It is about, get this, it is about that when Jesus Christ himself preaches and teaches, there are some, very small uh, amount of them, that are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And there are a whole lot that are not going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So there is a call there. There's a call that right there amongst this particular group today that there are some that fall into those categories. Some, a hard heart. 
somewhere we're sitting because of the difficulties in life and everything else. You don't want to have anything to do with God. And the only reason you're here now is because somebody begged you and, 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 and coerced you or paid you off or whatever it is, and now you're here. But everything that is being said, you're saying, bah humbug. And what I'm saying is you are in danger right now. Your heart is hardened to the only thing that will save you, the word of God. And then there were some who were just, it's just shallow. You, you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, you're like, look, if we don't have another speaker or new this or pumped up music or something else, it's just hard for me to be able to, I need more stories, I need whatever. There's just no depth for you in the word of God. You've just never grown. You're still, you're still even drinking milk. You, you can't even take the meat of the word of, of doctrine and these teachings of God because you're still playing church. Then there are those, of course, and you, we can keep going all the way down the line of those that is just a crowded heart. The truth is, if I were to ask you, what is your greatest love? The truth is you would have to hesitate to, to speak honestly because your greatest love might be a spouse, it might be a child, it might be something else. And Jesus may be way down the line. It's not a good thing. And all of this could very well be a demonstration that you're not in the faith of Jesus Christ because you're not producing true fruit consistent with repentance. But even though this is primarily about the saved and lost, there's also application here for those who are saved. Because I believe that I'm saved based on the completed work of Jesus Christ. My friends around me, family around me, they have spoken into my life that there's been enough fruit that has been evidence that I've been regenerated in Jesus Christ. I praise God for that. But you know what? When I read this, I can see every, every single one of these soils in my own life. Every single one of them. Let me give you two, two applications before we go. First of all, this parable tells us something about sharing the word. Sharing the word. Let us take part in broad seed sharing. You know, many times when we plant seed, we, we, we plant, when we tell somebody else about the gospel, we tell somebody else about the word of God, we do it sparingly, do we not? This is what we often do. God, just show me somebody that I need to share the gospel with. So a name comes up. And you're like, all right, now just give me an opportunity. And let a door open up. Six years later, door opens up. We miss it because we get scared. We have to wait for the next cycle of six years to come back to share the gospel again. Just give us another opportunity. But this is not the way we ought to be sharing the gospel. The way we share the gospel is we have a bountiful amount of the word and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he calls us to is just share it as you go. Just share it with people. Just say something. It doesn't even have to be the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Just try to throw out some kind of spiritual conversation. I was going through Chick-fil-A the other day. Why? Because I do every day. And uh, I was in Chick-fil-A, and, and they have just such a wonderful staff, and I've been getting to know them and the staff members there. You, you do when you keep buying from them. And, and then when you, when you sit there, and, and they go, well, how? and I asked this girl, she just was always so happy. What a great young lady. And I go, what's wrong? Are you okay? She goes, things have just been really, really tough. I just everything seems to be going wrong. And I just said to her, and she had some of her friends around there, you know, just with their little computer tabs. And I go, well, you still have Jesus, don't you? And she goes, yeah. And then I sat there and made everybody feel uncomfortable just with that statement, right? <laughs> Everybody's just like, oh, there we go. There's always one, the God guy, right? And you move and, and you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, but you know what? But at the same exact time, there's seed there. Maybe she is a believer in Jesus Christ, whether I think she might be, but maybe at that particular point, she realized, wait a minute, I, I do have God. We are supposed to be broad seed sowing. Here's the deal. You don't know who's going to be born again. That brings us to the next thing. The majority of our sharing will not fall on good soil. 
If you think that you're going to share the gospel and everybody's going to come to faith in Christ, or even the majority are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're wrong. This is what hurts believers oftentimes. They go, man, I've shared and shared and shared, and I just haven't seen anybody come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I say, guess what? You're in good company. Jesus was the same. Jesus shared the gospel, and the vast majority did not repent and believe, and there could not be a greater teacher than he. So if you and I are going to preach, listen, one thing to be able to remember, it's not all about how great you are at presenting the gospel truth. It is largely about the condition of the person heart that is hearing the gospel truth. There are many times that you can speak clearly and you get everything right and you cross off all the portions of the gospel and nothing, nothing at all happens in that life. Sometimes you're just struggling to be able to find the words and the person sits there and says, I need to repent and get right before the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because it was the seed with a good heart. So the parable tells us something about sharing the word. But number two, this parable tells us something about hearing the word. Hearing the word. Let us not harden our hearts in response to God's calling. Listen, every time you feel a nudge or a pull by God, to receive him, to believe in him, to change something in your life, to repent of sin. Whatever it is inside of your life, that is the God of the universe calling you and drawing you. You cannot afford to say no. The Bible is very clear throughout it that there can come a time that you have hardened your heart so hard that Romans chapter one, that he gives you up. And even if you wanted to believe, you could no longer believe. I don't know when that time is. I've heard people go, well, how far do you think you have to go? Is that the question you really want to ask? How far do I go until God finally gives me up and there's no possibility for me to be able to repent and place my faith in Jesus Christ? Is that where you want to go? Or what about a believer in Jesus Christ when he's calling you and he's, he's nurturing you? And what you do is you know this is something that God has been dealing with you, but you're just hoping for the next sermon. You want to go back to the women's sermon, men, of last week preach a sermon primarily to women. And you're just sitting there going, why can't we preach another woman's sermon? Why is he bringing this up? Why is he speaking about me? Because God is speaking to you. He's calling you and drawing you. You can't afford not to obey. Number two, let us be people of biblical depth. This morning, I loved it. I love the fact that it was so simple. We didn't plan it. Well, I guess they planned it because musicians didn't show up. But, uh, but he got up and just sang kind of acapella. Here's what we want to do. Isn't it great to just be able to be a church that goes, here's what we want. We want to get together, sing hymns and spiritual songs. We don't even need the hype. Don't even need the music. Just give us words that are deep in, in, in theology. They'll minister to our hearts. We'll sing it out. Just give us the plain word of God. I don't need a video. I don't need some drama. All I need is just give us the book and the word. Let us be people of the book. Let us not be people who sit there and go, I just need to be entertained. Let us deep, let's, let's press deeply into the word of God and be people of the book. Number three, let us beware of the things that distract us. How distracted we are. It's like Martha, so distracted by so many doings, so many things that are just going on in our life. And I think if a lot of us this morning, we would say, hey, the reason I haven't been producing the fruit that I ought to be producing is flat out, my mind is everywhere else. It's wrapped up at work, it's wrapped up in finances, it's wrapped in everything else. Look, I'm not saying that those things are bad and that they, I'm not even suggesting that they don't need our attention, but they don't need the attention at the exemption of our thoughts of God. 
our thoughts of Jesus Christ, his will, his word. We need to get our minds on him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for the time that we've had this morning. And God, as we're closing now, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, there's all these different types of soil and probably present right here in this church. Only you know. Now, God, what do we do with a hard heart? Only you can do it. So we pray in the name of Jesus that you would break up that hard ground, that you would call people to salvation even today. That the people who have been waiting to be able to follow you or to believe in you, God, they won't hesitate anymore. God, the people who today would sit there and go, you know, I just, I, I've been a believer all these years. I still don't need the word. Lord, let them be convicted to pursue you and to know you through the depth of your word. God, I just pray that you would save some, that you would change us all. In your precious name we pray, amen.